0: Andrew became well, his OCD symptoms, which had been severe, um, went down to zero. His psychosis, his hallucinations took longer. They took more than six months to go to zero, but by the end of a year, they were to zero.
1: Greetings. Hello. Good day, everybody, wherever you are in the world. Thank you so much for joining True Hope Cast, the official True Hope Canada podcast. My name is Simon and I'm your host. True Hope Canada is a mind and body based supplement company that is dedicated first and foremost to promoting brain and body health through non-invasive nutritional means now more than ever people looking for ways to support their mental health and this is a huge part of what we're continuously always doing at True Hope Canada. For more information you can visit truehopecanada.com and you can visit us on all the usual social media sites. We've got a very special guest on the show today Dr. Bonnie Kaplan. Dr. Kaplan is a research psychologist and semi-retired professor at the University of Calgary's um, Cummings School of Medicine. For many years she studied the role of nutrition in mental illness and brain development and during her 40 year scientific career she's published widely on the biological basis of developmental disorders and mental health particularly focusing on the contributing sorry the contribution of nutrition to brain development and brain function and Dr. Kaplan has enjoyed many, many different awards along her way, including the Dr. Rogers Prize for Excellence in Complementary and Alternative Medicine. Now in retirement, her passion is to teach people how our diet influences our brain and our mental health. Dr. Kaplan, thank you so much for joining us. First question as always, how are you?
0: Oh, I'm fine, thank you. I think retirement was... uh actually good training for coping with the isolation of COVID.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's uh, that's probably one positive. That's great to hear. Um, would you be kind enough to share with us a little bit about your journey into the remarkable study of nutrition and its role, its pivotal role in mental illness?
0: Sure. Well, my journey started probably before most of your listeners were born. Um, I entered graduate school in 1968, knowing that I wanted to study psychology, but that I never wanted to be a clinician. Um, And a lot of people might not realize that, that there is this other aspect of studying psychology that involves experimental research, understanding psychology, as opposed to actually training yourself to become a clinical psychologist. So as I was following my graduate program, this was at Brandeis University in Boston. Um, learning about the brain and behavior, I found myself constantly drawn to understanding the biochemistry of the brain. So, if I was assigned a topic, uh, say, in learning or memory, I was always selecting uh, inform- you know information related to the biochemical basis of how learning and memory uh, memories are stored, et cetera. And in fact, the very first peer-reviewed scientific publication on my CV is dated 1972. And it was on, it was entitled Malnutrition and Mental Development. So I had a very old interest in nutrition, but um, I found it very difficult to study nutrition for various reasons. There wasn't a lot of interest in it. I decided to do postdoctoral training uh, to learn more about neurophysiology. So I, that was a five-year sojourn um, at the neuropsychology laboratory affiliated with Yale university. And then I went on to the faculty at Yale doing neurophysiological research, not related to nutrition though. And then when I moved to Canada in 1979, There, it was right in the middle of a big controversy going on. I was at the research center affiliated with Alberta Children's Hospital, and a big controversy going on about actually um, through a dietitian who was recommending that families feed their children better (laughs) in order to cope with difficult behavior. Isn't that controversial?
1: What a wild! wild thought
0: and the pediatricians were not wild about it and so i was asked to work with her and do a study and so we did a study the fine gold diet was was very prominent and we did a study comparing um and it was a double blind placebo controlled uh study actually in very young children um and published it in pediatrics in 1989 and showed that children who ate a healthier diet, we called it the clear diet because it didn't have the ultra processed food and additives um, were noticeably better in terms of their hyperactive impulsive kinds of behaviors. And I still found it difficult to create a career around nutrition though, because I kept running into, um, I'll call them true believers, Simon, people who, with, I, I just remember kind of the straw that broke the camel's back when a mother said to me, Bonnie, I believe in nutrition. And I thought, my goodness, on a, on a good day, I believe in God. But nutrition isn't something, this is really, sure. <laughs> nutrition sure. is not something that you have to have some kind of faith in. It simply is. It's it's the foundation of how our cells grow and develop and function. And I understood what she meant, but it just made me realize that that and some other things that I was dealing with people who were sometimes quite fanatical, and I'm not comfortable around fanaticism of any kind in science, religion, or politics, or anything. So I remember, this will be the longest answer I give you, Simon, okay?
1: No problem. This is great.
0: I remember saying to my husband in around 1990, that's it. I am never going to try to study nutrition again. I keep trying and trying and I just, it's just not the way forward. And so I moved into another direction. Fortunately, didn't get fired for lack of productivity and was able to develop a career. And then along came a day in 1996 when I met Tony Stefan his daughter, Autumn Stringham, and David Hardy. And I knew that there was something going on. They didn't have a company called True Hope then. They didn't form True Hope till I think about 1999. You might know the date better than I do. But um, they certainly knew that they were helping people. And when I listened to Autumn's story, I knew this was not a scam. It wasn't a fraud. It wasn't fanaticism. It was real and... I was um, relatively well positioned and knowledgeable enough to study it. And that launched me right back into nutrition, which is pretty much where I stayed for the rest of my career. Amazing. Reminds me occasionally that I swore I'd never do that, but you know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's really cool. And I just wanted to kind of backtrack a little bit in regards to that experience you had where it was, it seemed very, very difficult for you to, Actually, follow nutrition. So you're at this point where, I mean, in your experience over over many, many years, what what why is there? So, what I think even still now there's a there's a big. Uh, oh yeah, there's, uh, I know
0: what you're getting at, Simon.
1: Yeah. So yeah.
0: I still have obstacles. Is that your question?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm just wondering, like, just trying to think about the obstacles back then, because you've obviously got a lot of individuals who choose who ch- choose and chose back back. Let's say back in the day to feed themselves and feed their families good quality food and good quality nutrition, and those people may, may not experience cognitive issues. And then you have people that do maybe don't eat more like a processed diet and eating a lot more additives and artificial foods and they're experiencing issues. Why is it that back in, I think you said 1968, so when you started nutritional study, Why do you think that there was such this blockade in the scientific community to to opening up the door of talking about nutrition, nutritional deficiencies and and their impact on the body?
0: Okay, so there are actually a couple questions buried in your question. Let me address the obstacles. In 1968, I was just a student. I wasn't actually running studies. I was reading the literature and the biochemical basis of how brains work, et cetera but I certainly had a lot of obstacles and um, they still exist. And I'll tell you, to me, there are, there are a number of reasons, but I'll, I'll give you three, okay? And let me make a note of them so I don't lose my train of thought. So one is lack of education. Um, the third one is the media, but in between we have to talk about the psychopharmacology revolution. So education is so important. Um, just this week, one of my colleagues in the States emailed me that the psychiatrist who she was trying to convince to treat a young child with micronutrients instead of medication um, had said to her, I'm open to this, but I've been in practice for 30 years. Why don't I know about this? Why don't, why was I never taught that nutrition was relevant for the brain? And so, He's learning. Okay. And let's hope he becomes an ally in the future, but that's in the year 2021 education, education, education. I've taught children as young as uh, grade six, what minerals and vitamins do in the brain, what cofactors are, why we have to have them in the brain every single minute that we are alive. And, it's not taught in schools ordinarily, and it's not even taught in medical school. So if you don't learn it, it's not you're stupid, it's that you just haven't been taught this information. So that's number one reason for obstacles. And so I've had psychiatrists in particular, but other physicians say to me over the years, things like Bonnie, those minerals and vitamins you're studying, they don't really affect how the brain functions, do they? And you know, my jaw just drops. I mean, what, what affects our brain function besides the nutrients and the air and the water and everything that we expose it to? Okay, so education is one. Secondly, the psychopharmacology revolution really took off right about the time I was entering um, the, the world of science in the 70s. And people love magic solutions, right? we've got a theory, we know now, we just have to take this pill and magically we'll get rid of bipolar disorder, for example. Well, it didn't turn out that way. Everything was oversold. But I mean, Time Magazine even had Prozac on the cover saying, should everyone take the happy pill? You know, there was, and it's always looking for a single pill. That's how we're, it's kind of out of, you know, the way we used to think about antibiotics and it's more complicated now, we know. Yeah. So the psychopharmacology revolution swamped the world. And the third thing is the terrible media coverage. For the last oh at least 5 to 10 years, the, every article that you read in the media that that touches on on nutrition in pill form is always about how it's killing you. Are your are your vitamins killing you? Don't take I mean New York Times had an article, don't take multivitamins. That's somehow been very much in the media and, and you got to wonder who's paying for some of those articles, right? So yeah, you can, lot-
1: you can certainly follow the money. I think in a lot of those publications to yeah. you know, there has to be for, for, for a statement to be made like that on, on a really big platform um, that I think most people can look at and kind of say that's doesn't, that does not quite seem right. You've got to, there's got to be questions asked there.
0: Right. And, and by the way, it, in Canada, anyway, it seemed to me that some of these negative articles have come in a flurry as if they got a payment that said, oh, let's have a few articles on how bad That's it interesting. Is. But that's very subjective. I'm not sure it's true. So um, you touched on a totally different area in that question, Simon. I don't know if you want me to comment or not. And that is kind of the 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 implication of what you said is some people are eating well and still having symptoms do you want me to
1: absolutely absolutely yeah please do yeah
0: well um this gets down to individual differences that's a um something that we're taught a lot in psychology is about individual differences and it, it relates to um environmental factors as well as genetic factors and we know now that there are Um, individual differences in our needs for micronutrients. And so everybody who's done research in this area can tell you stories of people who come in with a diet diary that shows they eat a wonderful whole foods, Mediterranean type of diet, and they still have mood instability. And so some of those people benefit from taking additional nutrients in pill form. Others don't. But clearly there are individual differences. And I often use myself as an example, I eat a healthy diet, but I am certain that if I ate a highly processed diet, that I would not develop, you know, depression or anxiety, because they just aren't part of my makeup, right? I, I would get fat and sluggish and other right. things, you know, but not that. So uh, paying attention to the quality of food is extremely important. I don't know if you know this, but fewer than 10% of North Americans are meeting guidelines for fruit and vegetable intake on a daily basis.
1: I I, to- I totally believe that. And I suppose a lot of those guidelines and um, recommended daily allowances are probably too low anyway.
0: Exactly. And we're not even meeting the low bar, right? Yeah. And if you look at the breakdown of food into whole versus processed versus ultra processed, um, ultra processed, which is not really a food anymore because it doesn't build or sustain cells, which is what food is supposed to do. But think about the the packaged foods, packaged items, okay, that people buy, which are basically just um, sugar and usually bad fats and salt and chemicals. Um, more than 50% of what we're putting in our mouths is ultra processed. So we really should be working very hard in every mental health clinic to teach people to improve their diet. But even still, some people will need additional micronutrients, meaning minerals and vitamins. And there have been a number of papers now that have described phenomena where um, uh, there are genetic mutations that are associated with the need for extra micronutrients. Maybe I won't go into that in this podcast though. Okay.
1: Yeah. Maybe we could, maybe we could do a separate one on that because that would be a, a big, but very, very interesting topic. And just before we kind of move on a little bit in regards to your connection to true hope, I just wanted to make a comment in regards to how I think it's very interesting that now, like in 2021 in the in, in the middle of this pandemic or oh, I hope it's the end of this pandemic but we'll, we'll see um, we're still not hearing from governments about the educational piece of what you can do with your own nutrition or going to a supplement store or eating well or exercising or drinking good quality water we're not hearing this information from our governing bodies that are you know their role is to serve us and we are still not hearing this you know this is from when you started studying nutrition in like 1968 the the information out there and the education is still in significant inf- infancy and it's just not good enough.
0: Absolutely true. And, and as usual, people glom on to a magic bullet. The one thing doctors are telling their patients is to take vitamin D. Well, that's good. We know that vitamin D plays a really important part in the immune, various immune systems, okay? And sometimes they're being told to take zinc but they're not being told about the resilience literature showing B-complex and the whole broad spectrum of minerals and vitamins improves our, it's the foundation of our resilience, both physical and mental. We actually have a paper coming out about that very soon um, based on the earth, it's an overview of the earthquakes uh, in um, New Zealand, the flood in Alberta, and the mosque shootings back in New Zealand. Julia Ruckledge is the first author of that, and it's in press. Um, And it summarizes all of our studies showing how important it is to get people to improve their diet, and more importantly, to be taking micronutrients in pill form um, after a crisis. Well, isn't COVID a crisis? You know, we should all be looking at that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can consider a, a crisis like one of those examples as a significant stressor onto the mind and body and then COVID and depending on what your experience has been over the past 11 months, a very similar stressor. But day in, day out, a year ago, you know, pre-COVID, people are experiencing micro stresses constantly all the time, just mm-hmm. in the way that they, you know, we engage our fight or flight nervous system. In our response to, to to stress, and as well as like the food that we choose to eat, can either inflame us and stress us further, or it can provide us nutrition to you know allow our body to kind of do what it does best and do what it wants to do, which is to you know make us feel awesome.
0: Yeah, I just want to add a comment in in our upcoming book, The Better Brain. Uh, Julie and I describe both the fight or flight and what that does for nutrient demands, and also triage theory, which explains. Uh, a little bit more about uh, why we need more nutrients in in, in times of crisis. So
1: amazing. That's great. Yeah. We'll definitely touch on the book, book, book towards the end. That's really cool. Um, So you've got an interesting history with, with true hope and you kind of touched on the introduction um, a little bit just at the, at the end there. Um, There's a history that involves a little bit of hesitation on on your part. Can you tell us a little, can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: I skipped over that. Well, given what I told you about not wanting to study nutrition anymore because I was fed up, you can imagine how I reacted when my friend and colleague at University of Lethbridge, Dr. Brian Cole, contacted me in nineteen in the spring of 1996 and said he had these two guys who in his office who were talking to him about vitamins and he wanted me to talk to them. And I said, "Better you than me. I've talked to every flake in Alberta. I'm not <laughs> anymore." I couldn't believe that just some vitamins were going to really fix mental health problems. So I I faxed him some forms because Brian was primarily a neuroscientist animal researcher. I faxed him some forms that he could use to help them look at a few kids that they had been working with. And I totally put it out of my mind. And I think that was in May of 96. And then in August, I got a fax that I kept on my bulletin board in my office for the rest of my career to keep me humble, nice. um, which was uh, the data that he had collected. And uh, well, he didn't collect it. Sorry, Tony and David collected it and Brian analyzed it and then written on it is where I did an analysis of variance. It's a statistical test manually right on this piece of paper and thought, what the heck is this? It looks interesting, you know? And then I agreed to meet with Tony and David, who I had never even heard of before I just knew there were two guys in southern alberta that uh, Brian thought I should meet. Well that's so amazing that's happy. amazing. It's yeah, amazing very-
1: that you were able to um first of all pass over those those papers for them to actually get you the data that you needed to you know kind of see something different than you did before.
0: Now that was just questionnaire Simon. Nothing special there. It was just like okay, you study rats, this is what we used to study kids.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> and you go off and do it.
1: Yeah, that's a really cool start. So can you talk to us about some of the studies that you've done over the years using nutritional supplementation? Um, do, any, do, anyone, do any in particular stand out?
0: Okay, so um, do any stand out? Most of the standout ones are the more recent ones that Julia Recklage is doing in uh, New Zealand. She's got the most active research group and also a really exciting study that has just been finished and is under review. That involves two sites in the US and one in Canada. But if you go back to the old days when I was doing studies, um, you know, I, I try to teach people that there is something more than randomized controlled trials. When you have a new idea, and I mean, let's face it, broad spectrum micronutrients was a really new idea. Nobody was looking, we looked back to the year. Um, I think it was uh, 1929, all the research on nutrition and mental health, we published a review paper in about uh, 2007, I think that came out. And we looked at all the studies and they were all on one nutrient at a time. Just always the magic bullet thinking, just like now with COVID, take your vitamin D, that's your magic bullet. It's not the way the brain works, but that's the way we think as human beings, we're always looking for a magical solution starting out with something really novel as I was doing uh, in about 1998 was the first study and and true hope didn't exist and empower plus did not exist we were using they were using and and I was studying um, combination of pills and liquids that they bought over the counter Um, I knew that starting out with a randomized controlled trial just does not make sense. You, there's There are too many unknowns. You don't know dose, you don't know age, you don't know symptoms you wanna focus on, etc. So case studies and also um, case series where you take people in sequence and say the first 10 that walk through the door, we're gonna try this with um and also um within subject crossover that's sometimes called a b a b design so you you study a person evaluate their behavior then you put them on the formula evaluate it again take the formula away and then look at their behavior give it to them again so you show on off control of symptoms i was doing all of that for a number of years um before we could get you know, progress to randomized control trials. So I'll tell you about one case report. Would you like uh, something concrete?
1: I'd love that please.
0: Okay. So this was a really interesting one. I did not know this family until I received a phone call <clears throat> um, from, uh, I'm going to call the boy, Andrew. Uh, it's not his real name. It's the name we used in our book too. When we describe, we describe a lot of cases and anecdotes in the book, and we used, you know, um, uh, fake names to protect their identity. But Andrew um, had had an interesting history, um, where even as a very young child, he'd had a lot of anxiety and agitation, and and he he seemed to be different from his older and younger brothers, uh, in that he had a um, a mild mental handicap uh, and that didn't kind of fit with the family. So he had actually was well-known at children's hospital genetics clinic because they thought he had some genetic syndrome and they, they never found one. But by the time he reached 11, his um, anxiety and agitation uh, had really, really gotten out of control and he started having hallucinations and delusions and they started trying him on various medications because this is, the psychopharmacology era, right? People want their drugs and and that's what uh, psychiatry had to offer. And he ended up so severely impaired, he was an inpatient at Children's Hospital. Now, while he was an inpatient, he was there for six months. They did lots and lots of trials of different medications. And at the end of six months, they had gotten nowhere. He was still really severely psychotic. And um, in very bad shape, and he was discharged to go home because they just didn't know what to do. His mother had heard about. By then, we had the company True Hope, and uh, thank goodness for the internet, you know, so that people were finding True Hope by then. And um, she, her son, was being seen at the outpatient clinic, uh, and by Dr. Megan Rodway, who was the uh, medical director. And she wanted Dr. Rodway to try Empower Plus on her son. And she was afraid that if Dr. Rodway wouldn't do it, um, what would the family do? I mean, to put yourself in the place of a family, if there are psychiatrists, maybe still, but certainly many over the years would say, if you try vitamins and minerals, don't come back to see me. I will not help you. Um, it's fear of the unknown, but it's, I think it's a, an unethical thing to say to a family. But I know for a fact that some psychiatrists said it. I don't think D- Dr. Rodway would have, but the mother called me and asked if I would serve as intermediary and attend the appointment with them uh, so that I could tell Dr. Rodway that this was a legitimate thing. It's not well proven yet, but legitimate and worth a try. Little did I know when I arrived at, uh, I think, the second meeting with them, that Dr. Rodway would tell me she had gotten quite fed up with medications. Anyway, she was delighted to try micronutrients. And by the way, Dr. Rodway eventually dropped out of traditional psychiatric clinics and went and trained as an integrative psychiatrist. And she's now the um, fully certified integrative psychiatrist in Calgary. So it was a very excellent situation. And so we collected the data of him, we had data from six months inpatient, and then we collected data for more than six months outpatient as Andrew became well, his OCD symptoms, which had been severe, um, went down to zero, his psychosis, his hallucinations took longer, they took more than six months to go to zero, but by the end of a the year, they were to zero, etc. And we published that, and I'd be happy to make sure that you have the link for your um, Podcast website. And then we did one more thing, and this is why I'm dwelling on it. One of the things I've begun to talk about more and more is how we need to pay attention to the cost savings with nutritional treatment, either diet for some people or diet and nutrients in pill form for others. And in this case, we called in a health economist who pulled this boy's data from six months inpatient and compared it to the immediately following six months outpatient. And I mean, the cost was less than 2% uh, in the second six months compared to the first six months. Now outpatient to inpatient is not a totally fair comparison, but keep in mind, he got well as an outpatient on nutrients. He did not get well as as an inpatient. So that is published and I can give you that link.
1: That's amazing. We'd love to share that with our audience. We'll we'll make sure that that link is in, is in the show notes and yeah. yeah, what a remarkable turnaround. And I find it interesting that that, that particular doctor seemed kind of fed up with pharmaceutical drugs and prescribing them. And probably the reason that that person was fed up is because they weren't seeing the results that they wanted. Cause obviously most people, most people go into medicine cause they want to help people. Yeah. And, um, it's just wonderful that this, it sounds like that, that whole experience inspired, inspired her to um, get into integrative, more kind of holistic psychology, which is just a phenomenal win for uh, the nutritional side.
0: She, not just nutritional. She really teaches a lot of people, um, like even Andrew still has residual anxiety. Anxiety can still be hard to totally get rid of in people. And she teaches breathing and meditation and so forth. So these are
1: hallmarks of her treatments. Yeah. So that that story and that study and that testimonial that was done using Empower Plus is that right?
0: Um, either Empower Plus or Empower.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah I think it's changed. changed it's certainly <laughs> changed. We've changed the name a few times. But yeah. 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 That's that's just wonderful. Do you have any? Um, have you you ever? Have you ever used the products? Have you seeing obviously all the examples and all the studies um, yourself? Have you ever ever used Empower Plus?
0: Sure. I often get asked this question, Simon, and I'm happy to answer it. Um, I have inherited a very stable disposition, as has my husband. Neither one of us would be taking any nutrients to try to control mental health. You know, there are other health problems. You don't get to be in your 70s without having problems, but not mental health. However, as you get older, you absorb nutrients less efficiently. And I know a quite a lot and have analyzed some soil assays from our Canadian fields. And I know that we don't get as many nutrients in our food as even if you have an ideal diet. So of course, I, I want to supplement my diet. And so I do take, um, you know, the when the company split into two, and we have both True Hope and Hardy Nutritionals, I have stayed agnostic. I am not, you know, I'm not have never been financially affiliated with either company. I hope your listeners understand that, um, and I don't want to preferentially, you know, lean one way or the other. They both make very good broad spectrum my, my uh, multi nutrient products. So, one month I'll buy from one, and the next month the other. And my husband and I take low doses of both of those. Right, so yeah. we, don't take, we don't take as much as people need to take usually to control um, mental health symptoms. But I think we take enough to enhance our dietary intake of nutrients.
1: Yeah. And you make a brilliant point about the fact that our soil is just not what it used to be um, mm-hmm. through many, many, many different reasons. And that, yes, yeah, supplementing is kind of something that we that nobody can really afford, afford not to look into. And as you, as you mentioned, some people don't need as much. Some people have different um, levels of uptaking nutrition and, you know, some people have compromised small intestines. So they're not actually uptaking as much as they can. It's a whole different, that's a whole different, um, um, there's a whole different story that is when it comes to, you know, digestive integrity and the ability to absorb nutrition. Um, I'd love to talk about, um, your book that's coming up hmm. and it's okay. called the better brain, the
0: better brain. Right. And the subtitle um, specifies, you know, learn how to overcome mood problems, ADHD, et cetera. Um, and by the way, there's a, a half of a chapter in there teaching people, cause I don't think most people know um, the importance of soil mineralization, because that's how, a lot of people don't know that's how we get our vitamins. The soil provides plants with what they need along with sunshine and water. Um, to synthesize vitamins, we can't synthesize minerals or 99% of our vitamins, we can only, you know, the if our gut is healthy, we'll be synthesizing a wee bit of some B vitamins, but we aren't even doing that. It's the healthy gut bugs that are smart enough to do that. We're really quite incompetent at manufacturing minerals and vitamins. So we have to be getting them from our diet um, and we have to be getting in them from a diet that is rich or, and grown in, in good soil, or from the animals that come along and eat the plants. I'm, I'm not a vegetarian myself, so I throw that in. Um, so what else can I tell you about our book? It's written for the general public. It's, uh, you can, I'm sure you'll want to put the link on your podcast website, but it's uh, thebetterbrainbook.com. Or.ca .ca if you're in Canada, and it uh, will be released in April, but you can order it now. Um, we really try to teach people in a very simple way about what is happening in your brain every minute that you're alive and why you need to pay attention to your diet. And then we talk to you about how to pay attention to your diet. And we even give you a chapter of recipes because that's always fun. Yeah. Um, and uh we give you lots of stories and anecdotes from our experience but uh but it is we do actually cover the scientific research in a in a in a i think reader friendly way for people to understand
1: yeah that's that's very important especially when it comes to obviously you're coming from a very sciency background and translating a lot a lot of that into into a form where people are able to, to understand it and to um apply that knowledge as well in in in, in some to, to do's and having recipes is obviously wonderful as well yeah i look forward to getting my hands on that that's great you also teach people how diet influences our brain and mental health is that is that something you're doing right now or is that something that's kind of on hold at the moment
0: no i i do lots of zoom lectures i i did a long one on monday i anybody who wants me to educate remember i said the obstacles to not having this field more accepted, number one is lack of education. How can I not be willing to give lectures? So I give a lot of talks. Um, some of them are recorded and they're on my own website, which I guess we could put on your uh, site also. It's And <clears throat> There are some videos there that when, sometimes when people give me the link, I don't know, maybe when you're done with this, Simon, I can put the link to your po- podcast on there too. Absolutely. And, and I really like trying to influence uh, people at every level. I've, I've talked to grade six kids and also to family doctors, you know.
1: Yeah, the educational piece is so important. And, you know, I, I sometimes think about how um, many medical doctors – you know, we can't we can't blame them for not looking towards diet and nutrition and supplementation because at the end of the day, they they don't they don't really learn about it. So if you if you're not exposed to certain pieces of information, you're not going to have those thoughts circulate. They're not going to they're not going to start turning into opinions and beliefs, and you're not going to use them in practice, and you're not going to see the application of them. So it makes total sense that you know if you go into a doctor's office with with, with uh, Levels of anxiety or stress or depression, etc. Their training is to you know assess and then to prescribe a pharmaceutical. And as you mentioned about that kind of that one pill that we're you know we kind of like in our society that that magic one thing that's going to help us fix us, whatever it is. But when we're talking about nutrition and supplementation, we're talking about actual prevention. We're talking about healing. We're talking about people experiencing something very very different and good quality supplementation and nutrition doesn't really come with side effects, but these drugs, these very harsh pharmaceutical drugs come with significantly harsh side effects that can often be worse than the, the issues themselves. So that's obviously a a big point as well. And that's, I think an educational piece missing from the general public where we have a responsibility to um, be looking into these things ourselves rather than just taking the opinion of somebody else. I think,
0: yeah, That's actually why I try. I don't always succeed, but I try not to refer to something like Empower Plus as a supplement. To me, food and nutrients in pill form are, should be the primary treatment in that order. And medication is sometimes needed as a supplement. That's my vision for the future. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. That's beautiful. Well, Thank you so much for talking with us today I really appreciate your time you mentioned that um, you've got the website Bonniej and we'll leave the link to that in the in the show notes and also the book has got um, a Facebook page as well which I checked out which um, people can can get connected and, and look look at a little bit more about the book um, but yeah thanks again do you have any any closing remarks?
0: Um, no just that I'm available for you know people can email me through my website if they um, are interested in having me do talks or anything like that to encourage more research. I guess I should mention my fundraising. Am I okay to do that? Oh, please. So um, the other goal as I was nearing retirement, I retired technically from the university in 2016, which means I can't do act. I'm not supported to do adequately to do independent research anymore, but I've I'm still very busy, but one of my goals was to raise money for my junior colleagues because the main um, agencies uh, are, are just not willing to look at anything except magic bullet nutrients. You know, you can get a grant to study vitamin D and depression, even though we know that it's a very modest effect, but to get a grant to study broad spectrum nutrients, um, you can't do it. So I set up two charitable funds, one in the U.S. and one in Canada. And the reason I did it that way is so that people can get charitable tax receipts. And I've raised, actually, if you treat the Canadian dollars as if it were equal to the U.S., which unfortunately it is not, and lump them together, we've reached almost $900,000. And it's all been distributed. It's supporting randomized controlled trials. It's supporting some basic research. It supported some... uh, Uh, epigenetic analyses, um, all related to what nutrition is doing in the brain and what it can do clinically. And because it is all distributed, there is a great need for additional funds out there. And if anyone is interested in that, again, it's on my website and we welcome contributions. None of it goes to me because I'm not doing studies anymore, but it goes to people who are in good academic settings in Canada, the U.S. and New Zealand so far.
1: Thank you again for joining us, Dr. Kaplan. Um, For more information about about anything we've spoken about in this episode, you can see the show notes to get connected there, and you can always connect with Dr. Kaplan as well. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Dr. Kaplan, thank you again. Um, This is True Hope Cast, the official podcast of True Hope Canada. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we will see you next week. Thank you.